Founder Circle. Uh, I am very excited about today. You know, we've been running the Tech Founder Circle for, I think, about two years. And over the course of that two years, um, we've been plotting and asking, not plotting like, you know, like we're going to come up with a crazy plan. But what I mean by that is we've been plotting the challenges that have been ha that have been occurring that tech founders face on a regular basis. And so uh, I'm excited about today's conversation because one of the ongoing challenges um, that many of our tech founders face in the tech founder circle is go to market strategy, new revenue streams and selling. How, what, what are best ways to where should I be putting my revenue towards sales? How should I be going about doing this? You know, there's the age old um, conversation about should the founder be the best sales salesperson on the team in the very beginning? I want to talk to David about that. Just quickly ask him that question. Um, but these are the kinds of questions that we're going to tackle today. So I am very excited to have David Walters here with us. Um, he is an investor, a founder. He has worked with many different tech companies. In fact, in our previous phone call, um, as many of you know, I come from a client success churn background. And I knew David knew what he was talking about as soon as we were chatting, because the way that he approaches it is the same way that many of the people I've talked with on the churn side of SaaS uh, discuss conversations about scaling companies, um, building products, product market fit. These are all big questions that have to be answered by founders in the beginning of their startup phases. So with that, we're just going to jump right in and... I love the title of this. David uh, sent this title to me and I thought it was perfect. Is your business B2B or B2C? Either way, you're wrong. So David, I think we should probably start there. Okay. And and then we'll and then we'll see where this goes. But if you could kind of give us really quick, David, just kind of give us a little bit of your background before we jump into this. Why okay. why are we wrong if we look at B2B or B2C? But give us a little bit of your curriculum vita, if you will. Okay, so uh, I'm uh, I'm part of a network of um, investors and consultants that help business owners maximize the value of their business for a, a high value exit, and we will coach them and help them go through the the exit process, um, and then basically you know give them the option they can go uh, for a very quick quick exit with whatever value they've got in the business uh, at the time we meet, or they could spend some time to um, do what we call internal optimization. And through that, you know, we believe that um, if they do it properly, they can 10x the value based on uh, the initial value for when we first meet them. And then the third level of exit is to go for the uh, go for the, the the big payout, which is which would include M and A's and roll ups. Um, and typically, that takes you know three to five years. So depending on the appetite of the owner, depending on the urgency, um, we can help them uh, exit with anywhere between one and two years for a decent valuation. Or if they want to play the long game, they could go for a roll up in five years. And so, so that's what we do. So obviously in that, we have to look at all aspects of the business, all processes, all the different elements that go into making a successful business. So we tend to be very uh, broadly based with specialist skills where we need to bring them in. And obviously, you know, with, with the M&A approach and with acquisition approach, you have to balance both sides of the coin. And I think that that is where a lot of your expertise has come in. You, you have a, you've worked with in, in many different scenarios that have given you exposure to a lot of dis different situations. And that is where I, I heard the value when we were kind of discussing. So 
let's jump in. Either way, you're wrong if you think of yourself as a B2B or B2C. So obviously, you know, we kind of created that title to get people's interest and be like, oh, what, what should I be thinking about? So let's start there, uh, David. Okay. And, and let's talk about if you are thinking, because I think about this as well. I'm a B2B company, but I, I know you've got a different spin on that. So let's jump in. Sure. So we, we tend to we tend to get lazy. We use the terms B2B, B2C as, as shorthand. Um, and that just means, you know, our, our, our primary um, client is either a business or a consumer. And when we define that, um, that then puts up a screen that um, separates us from, from the, real, the real buyer in the business. And that buyer is a human being. Um, so what we teach is irrespective of whether you are selling a product or service to another business or whether you are selling your product or service to um, an individual, a consumer, the person who is making the buying decision is always a human being. So every element of marketing is in fact H to H. It's always a human being. And one of the most common failures that we see is when people start to take their marketing digital, um, they sell to the screen and they stop selling so that they'll put up a landing page, they'll do you know PPC, whatever, awareness grabbing um, tactic they want to use, but they, they, they stop selling when they get to the screen and they're not reaching to the human being behind the screen who actually is going to be making that buying decision. Uh, so that's what we mean by H to H marketing. Yeah, I think that's such a good point. And I think that that can be a little bit difficult to wrap your head around when it comes to B2B. Um, we were in the dental software space and, and dentists, they kind of behave like a uh, consumer, but you're taking this a little bit further in the sense that um, you are speaking to a human. So when, when for those of us out there that are B2B and we're like, yeah, but there's budgets and there's corporate goals and all of these things that are not necessarily you know, face value human, how do we incorporate those ideas into what you're talking about? Well, there's, there's a couple of aspects. I mean, I've, I've got a, a couple of slides that I'd like to share with you in a second, but for the, for the B2B business, it is actually much more important or much more demanding to get the human element into your sales and marketing. Because if you're selling B2C, typically you have one decision maker. Uh, and depending on the price point, it would be the consumer. Can I afford this? Can I not afford it? If you're selling a bigger ticket item, it may be the, the spouse, you know, the, the, the partner or the, or the spouse says, you know, is this really what we need to do as a family? But you, you only have one, maybe two decision makers in a typical B2C transactional uh, situation. In a business to business situation, you may have several decision makers. You may have a technical decision maker, an operational decision maker, a financial decision maker, and then the ultimate decision maker, who could be the department head or the CEO or whoever. Each one of those decision makers has a different agenda. They have a different set of criteria and they have an addition and, and uh, they have different emotional triggers. And one of the things that if you understand the psychology of selling and, and the, the system that we teach uh, our, our business owners to follow is based on the psychology of human intimacy. Um, but if you understand the psychology of selling, every single buying decision is triggered in the emotional center of the brain. So if you are not crafting your marketing to hit the right, emotional right. trigger of that person, you are not going to make the sale. Um, I, I, one of the greatest selling books I've ever read is pitch anything by Oren Clough. 
And he talks about how you have to bypass the reptilian brain. You have to get past the amygdala. Yep. You have to you have to get past the frontal cortex where higher order thinking is happening and you need to get to the emotional side of the brain. So I think what you're speaking to, you know, aligns exactly to, to what I've learned. And, and, you know, one of the best ways to do that is through storytelling. I think. I was just going to say, well, let me tell you a story. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Or having an amazing mustache like, like yours. Well, I mean, nobody ever remembers your face. Nobody ever remembers your name, but there, there are a few people who say, have you have you seen that crazy English guy with a weird mustache? <laughs> so it's, it's, it's my it's my uh, my attempt at personal branding. Right, it's awesome. It <laughs> is awesome. I feel like you could just lead a lead a garrison into war with that. Thing. I'd be more than happy to do that. Probably <laughs> in my resume somewhere. Right. <laughs> uh, all right. So so even though you know there are requests for proposals, there are budgets, all of those things. Would you say that those things they are requirements, but they if you but they can be distractions? I mean, you Absolutely. need to meet those requirements, but the way that you do that is more important than actually answering those questions that exist Correct. for the decision maker. Correct. I mean, you 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 know you have to follow whatever process the the business requires of you, but it's always better to to have an inside champion. Um, uh, there's a there's a selling system called the the Miller Herman. Um, and they actually have a, a very clever system where you actually map out who is the technical decision maker, who is the ultimate decision maker, uh, who is the operational decision maker, the financial mm -hmm. decision maker. And you then look at the triggers for each of those. And so it's a, it's a clever system for mapping it out. But one of the things they always recommend in that system is before you make any major approaches to, a, to an organization, find out who is your internal champion. So there's typically one person who is really pushing for you. And, and I can give you an example. When I worked in the corporate world, uh, one of my last roles was a, a global rollout of an IT solution. This was for a, a, one of the global oil and gas companies. And it was a project management tool that was going to be rolled out across the entire energy division. So you can imagine we were expecting thousands of project managers to be in this tool. There was a lot of resistance. There was different parts from different groups. But there was one work group who were absolutely adamant they wanted this tool. The mm -hmm. CEO of that group uh, championed it. He pushed it. He fought for it. He put his own um, he put his own sort of corporate um, credibility on the line to make sure the job got done. But once once he dem once he led the way and once he showed the business that this could be done and the benefit that it brought to the business, then it was a much easier sell to the rest of the organization. So. So often, especially if you're looking at a big ticket sale or a potentially risky sale, so for, for startup companies where you've got something that's maybe not a mainstream product, finding that internal champion that will then help you um, basically un understand how to navigate into the organization and, and what the emotional triggers are. Because every organization has its own culture. It has its own hot button items. It has its own pol internal politics. So to know that uh, is a is very powerful if you are working through that corporate that corporate labyrinth. So David, I want to I want to unpack this a little bit more because we hear all the time that you need to find an internal champion, and for me, this is like what you're saying, what you're talking about right now is like a judo move, um, and it's not something that can be easily done. Like our company, we build communities for brands. And one of my first questions to my clients is, okay, who is your decision maker? 
Uh, and then my next question is, who do you want to build relationships with? And and then we then we build communities based off of that. But sometimes the decision maker and the person they want to build relationships with is the same. Sometimes it's different. And so when you're talking about, you know, we we are working with a client right now where the user of the product is different from the decision maker. So if, if you're a brand, if, if you're a company, where what what basket would you put your eggs in? Would you put it into the user basket? Would you put it into the decision maker basket? If you can put it in all the baskets. <laughs> right. Um, because you know, often the decision maker will say, okay, well, it looks like the right decision. The user has a different we'll set fail. of emotional triggers. Right, and say, right. Well, yeah, okay, it's the right decision, but I'm already stacked up. I've got the, you know, I've got the last 32 corporate good ideas that I've still got to try and implement, none of which have given me any value for my department. Right. Um, and now you're coming up with the next corporate good idea. Thanks very much. So, you know, if you can get a user, or if you can get a, you know, a manager who is championing the the implementation of the product or service, um, then the then when you find the ultimate decision maker, it's a much easier sell. Okay, uh, so you're you're saying start with the user first. If you if you've got somebody who wants your product, okay, or they can see value in the product, then they can help you navigate. So mm -hmm. The decision maker is just he's just he's just making decision. Okay, I've got option A, I've got option B. Do I go with this vendor or this vendor? It's purely a mechanical process. You have no relationship with them. But if you have users who actually want your product or service, it's in their interest. They've got mm -hmm. the emotional benefit. So you always remember, nobody nobody gives a damn about your product or service. They couldn't care one iota what you do, whether you've got the fastest software, the prettiest splash screen, the, the, the most wonderful website. They don't care. All the customer wants is the benefit, the transformation that your product or service gives the them results, when yeah. they, again, it's, it's the transformation. So if you can take them from pain to pleasure through your product or service, they will want it. Okay. I love that. That That's kind of like your, your litmus test in, in terms of who you should be talking to, right? Because in your example, and this happens all the time, decision maker makes a corporate decision. The users fed up. They they don't feel like they're being represented, and so I love that idea. You know, if you were to put your eggs in any basket, start with the user. And I think a lot of times we as founders are going to mess that up. And the reason why we mess that up is because we're short sighted and we look for the sale. But the real benefit is long LTV, lifetime value. And the only place you're going to get lifetime value is with the user building a product where the user of your product loves that product. And if you can do that, then they become a champion and you figure out a way to go upstream. So question for you, David is, all right, I've got a product. I know my user, my user is different from my decision maker. I, I start to build relationships with my users. Now, how do I move upstream? So I've got my champion. How do I work with my champion to get it approved? That really depends on the business. It depends on how much sway that the, the, the user or the champion actually has for you. Um, but the other thing is you can you can then start, uh, as you're working a bottom-up approach, you can also do a top-down approach. So just to give you an example, I was working with a, um, a chap that has a, he's a startup. He's got um, a very, very new battery technology. And uh, you know this technology um he's uh, he's currently uh, still in his early funding stages but his technology will basically make lithium batteries obsolete 
Um, and when you look at the amount of pollution, and we're all told, you know, e-vehicles are great and you know, lithium, right, uh, batteries right. are wonderful. But when you look at the amount of pollution that these dead batteries are causing, right, um, it's horrific. You know, it is not an environmentally sound solution at all. Right. Um, so uh, this chap's got got the ability to um, to basically uh, revolutionize the battery industry. Um, he would make lithium batteries pretty much obsolete overnight. And he was looking at um, getting into um, one of the large uh, multinationals uh, who have a, a transportation division and they're, to they're, they're already doing electric trains, electric trams, uh, and they're talking about, uh, you know, renewable batteries. Um, so he wanted to find, uh, find a way into that business. So I was able, because I've got some experience with that particular company, I was able to help him navigate as to which division he needs to be at. We then did a search on LinkedIn and we found um, two or three people in the business who would be potential people for him to connect. And we actually found the CEO of the transportation division who was on LinkedIn, who he could connect with, who actually, when we when we read his last post, was heralding um, how much they were investing and how much they were putting. Uh, this was a, a, a European headquartered company. So their green, their green credentials are extremely important to them. So um, we were able to uh, show him how to navigate through the labyrinth of this company, who he needed to speak to, and then you know some of the cultural things, what he, how he needed to address that individual, but also the uh, you know the, the emotional hot buttons, you know, mm -hmm. play to you know. So so in this case, it was a European-based company. The senior managers in these in these companies are very formal. Uh, it's, it's a it's an unusual dichotomy when they come to the U.S. They're very uh, first name terms. When you go across to Europe, it's uh, you know it's, it's very formal at the senior management level. So I was able to advise him, you know, how to address this person and also the um, the emotional triggers. So play on the green credentials, play on the uh, play on the uh, the value stream, play on the fact that you are a um, you are a disruptive technology that will help them move their corporate credibility forward. And those are the sort of emotional triggers that will get you an audience at the highest level. So. When you when you get up to the ultimate decision maker, the decision make the decision is usually political rather than operational, and so you have to understand the political environment that they're or internal corporate mm, politics rather than you know, right. external stuff. Interesting, yeah. So Janine's got a question for us. Would you invest in supporting the champion ahead of pursuing the agreement with the prospective client company, even if you are to some extent providing your services for free to support the champion? <laughs> free is never a good word um mm. the yeah, I, I, i'm not we, 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 we talk about this a lot on the tech founder circle your betas yeah. should never be free because you're never no, going to get the right absolutely. feedback people aren't absolutely. invested yeah you've got to i mean you you can help them you can support them you can advise them um you can you know help them make help them state their case and make their value proposition but if you want to do, if they're saying, well, hey, what about giving us a free trial? Um, as Paul said, free free has no value. Free, you know, free is utterly worthless. And, and the trouble is psychologically, it also has no value. So, you know, my recommendation is if you have a product and you have a list price on your product, you can offer them a significant discount. You can offer them some, some sort of quid pro quo, but always have a sticker price. Um, you know, even if you, even if you offset the, the the cash value for something like uh, you know um, uh, credibility or kudos or, or brand marketing or anything like that, 
but never ever say, oh, I give it to you for free. As soon as you say that, the value of your product or service is zero. So say, hey, my product's worth $20,000, but if we can do a, a deal that you can promote me at an upcoming seminar, or you can give me a great testimonial, or whatever is you know within, within the ethical boundaries of, of the relationship, then get something in return. Never ever do anything purely for free because it has no value. So, so that, that brings up the question of, okay, champion, you, you want to get your foot in the door with the champion. So how do you, how do you do that? How do you approach the user that you want to become the champion to take you to the decision maker? And, and maybe that's what Janine, I'm not sure if that's what you're getting at, but free is always something where you can be like, Hey, try this out. See if you like it. It's a quick approach, but to your point, David, it, it doesn't, it's not generally going to work because they're not going to Correct. see value in it. And they probably won't invest time in making sure that it does work appropriately. So getting that first initial relationship with your champion or your, your user, how would you go about doing that? So it depends on what are their needs. Do you, do you, do you know their needs well enough to be able to offer them the solution? So, you know, assuming you have something that you think would be a fit for them, make the initial connection, do the, you know, do the uh, do the first contact, and then um, once you've done that, then you know, really get to know what are those emotional triggers for the user, what is it that motivates them, and then find a way that you can structure your your offering to meet those emotional triggers. So, for example, um, within the within the, the the marketing system that we teach people, um, we spend a lot of time on the um, on the the initial so. The system is based on the human uh, the psychology of human intimacy. We spend a lot of time initially building trust. So um, the, the first three levels are awareness, engagement, and subscription. And so if you can if you can just make them aware of your product and give them you know giving information free value in advance is perfectly valid, um, but that's education. Never give your product for free. So um, in our in our system, we would do a, an awareness campaign, get people to come to your website. Uh, or just you know just hear of you whatever method you use to get awareness. Once they're aware of you, then start to give them valuable information, and then we call it value in advance or ungated content. Get them to um, uh, consume your content so that they're engaging with you, and then after that, offer them something of real real value for free. But they have to give you their emails. That's what we call gated content, um, and in the tech space. Uh, people tend to run run off with you know 30, 40, 50 page white papers. Those are actually not not good tools for lead magnets. The best lead magnet, especially if you're dealing in, in a tech environment, is a one page cheat sheet, a tech spec, a how to video, um, a quick a quick summary of a research project, something that the 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 engineer or the or the tech manager can consume very quickly, but gives them immediate benefit, immediate value. Once you've got their email, they are then a subscriber. And there's two things happen at that point. They have they have given you a level of trust because they've given you their email, but your marketing cost drops. Um, the, 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 there are eight stages in the marketing system that we teach. The first three cost 60 times more than the other five put together. So that's that's how expensive mm, regeneration is nowadays. But if you can get them to that subscriber stage by giving them something of high value that they have to they have to trade their email for then you can build the relationship, then you can start to, to upsell them. And then you go to the next stage, which is the conversion stage, which is where you're really getting on that one-to-one that -one discovery. 
Awesome. I love that. Great advice. And it's very, yeah, very, very clear. Um, and I think each business, the way that they design this play is going to be different based off of the user, what their needs are, who the champion is and the landscape of the business, the industry, all of those things. And so, um, obviously you have to take all those into account and it's going to be different for each one. And you, a lot, and that goes back a lot to what we were supposed to do as founders is interview, 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 interview people for your product, but also understand your personas because that helps you design great products, but it's also going to help you with your messaging. It's also going to help you with your sales processes and your marketing. Like everything comes down to knowing your users challenges. Well, all, knowing all of your, your personas challenges. Absolutely. And the, and the other thing, I mean, when we, we talked about storytelling at the beginning, one of the, um, one of the, the, the strongest human archetypes is what's called the hero's journey. So if you can set yourself up as the, as the wise person, so what a, a mistake a lot of people make in their marketing is they present themselves as the hero. Look, we've got this, we've got that, it's all about us. That doesn't resonate with people. People don't care about you, they care about themselves. So if you're gonna if you're gonna set up your marketing strategy, or you're gonna set up your narrative, um, and you use the hero's journey template, you you assume the role of the the wet the mage or the wizard, who is the the wise one that gives advice and counsel to the hero as they're going on their journey. So you basically set your um, your internal champion or your user or whoever you're trying to connect with set them up as the hero of the journey they're going to bring this great product or service which is going to save the business or 10x the business revenue or whatever the whatever the outcome of your product or service is but you become the wise person who then mentors and guides the hero as yes. they make the journey in their business you know what's interesting david i don't know if you're sensing this in today's market at all but i i've been sensing this shift in marketing in general I think that traditionally businesses have kind of put themselves at the center of communication. Hey, look at me. This is what we do. This is what the problem that we solve. And I think there's a shift happening where smart businesses, to your point, are putting the user at the center of the messaging and communicating to them in, in whatever value added way that they can possibly do that. I mean, in the past it was, yeah, we're going to create this massive white paper and, and white papers are cool, but Who's, who's actually reading white papers? I mean, I'm sure some people are, but in today's world, that, that white paper needs to, the, the, the assumption of that white paper needs to, the underlying like DNA throughout the entire thing should be, we know you, we know your challenges, and we're here to help you solve your challenges in whatever way we can, even if it's not necessarily with our own product. I was at Apple the other day. My, my, um, my phone was broken. Uh, the screen was broken. I went to the Genius Bar. They took a look at the screen. They said, this is going to need to be replaced. I said, damn it. And then uh, the the person across the desk was like, I know, we're expensive. And then she kind of did this. And she's like, but if you go down the road to this store, uh, you can get it for like half the price. And I'm like, thank you. You have just made another loyal customer because I know that I can go to the Genius Bar and they know what my concerns are and they will they just want me to be happy they want me to map to a solution that that are, that is valuable to me they're not going to put the lamb over, you know that whatever they're not going to put the wool over my eyes and try to get me to buy the screen from them 
they know that the end game is the most valuable part of the relationship. Absolutely. I mean, that's that's a very good point. And, um, you know, you, you mentioned earlier on in the conversation about the lifetime value of the customer. That's often difficult to assess over, you know, over several years. I mean, what is the real LTV of a customer? Um, so we tend to we tend to sort of systematize it and we, we teach what we call the CAV, the customer average value. And so within the in the marketing system that we teach, we have um, uh, we do we do what we call a, a, an avatar analysis. So we do a, a, a matrix assessment of the various client groups and products just to identify the best fit. We then do a Pareto, a Pareto analysis to identify which of those avatars uh, are the ones that are going to give you the 80 percent revenue stream. Um, and then once we've chosen the first one that we, we only ever develop one at a time, because if, if you try and develop two or three uh, marketing channels at the same time, you, you tend to confuse yourself and you confuse the market. So choose your best avatar um, and then start to develop out your channel. But the first thing we do is, OK, what is the core offer that we can give or we can present to this avatar? And then before we even look at any marketing spend, we say, OK, if we present them with this core offer, what can we immediately offer? What value can we give to give them a, a bundled upsell? What are the upsells we can give them and offer them right out the gate that will make their experience with us even better? And then once we've worked out what are the upsells, we can um, we can look at cross sells. Um, so if the example would be if you know if you were selling a, a, a racing bike, you know your your core offer could be a 12-speed racing bike, um, but you know you know that there are people who are going to be really serious and they want to, they're willing to spend three or four thousand dollars on a bike. So you want the 21-speed titanium alloy carbon fiber wheels. That is an upsell of your core product. But in addition to that, you can then sell them the helmets, the jerseys, the water bottles, and all the other paraphernalia. So it's not your product, but it increases the value of the transaction. And then ultimately, the ultimate goal, and especially this is great for, um, you know, for people who are in the software and the SaaS space, uh, get them into some uh, subscription service where you have monthly recurring revenue. That's the sweet spot. Mm -hmm. um, but if you can, if you can get them through that ascension ladder. And you know that you know with this client, I can sell the core offer. I can increase my profit by twenty percent by offering them this, and I can then get them into a subscription service. Then you get to the uh, to the value proposition where you can actually afford to lose money on the initial sale because you know you're going to make it on the back end. Um, right. Now, in the ideal case, if you can come up with what we call an SLO, a self liquidating offer, so the cost of your marketing and sales and conversion is covered by the first transaction, that's great. Um, if you are, you know, if you're a one and done, then you have to be very, very acute with your product, which is why we always say, look, look for the, the upsells and look for the, the subscriptions. Um, but you know, you've got to, you've got to get your marketing metrics tuned in. But if I could set you up with a system, it's okay, for every for every dollar I spend on marketing, I know that in the next 12 months I'm going to get two dollars from this client. How much would you be willing to put into your marketing funnel? Right. Quite a bit. As much as you can afford. Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. David, this has been fantastic. I know we're a little bit over time, so apologize for that. But this has been uh, some great information. I appreciate those that engaged out there. I hope you're able to get some um, good feedback back there, uh, Janine. And um, yeah, David, thanks for your time. If people want to reach out to you, how can they do so? Um, they can find me on LinkedIn. Um, so it's just uh, David James Walters. Or email me, uh, david at steampoweredconsulting.com.
thank you for your abundance here. Thanks for creating awareness, engagement, and providing value. So uh, David is actually going to be speaking at our Tech Founder Circle next week. So if you're a tech founder and you're looking to mingle and collaborate with other tech founders across the country, uh, DM me and I will get you set up uh, to join our Zoom meeting. So David, we'll see you next week, but thank you for your time today.